welcome to another episode of Rich Cheese Radio. As always, I'm your co-host, Pro Montana, and with me is the Schmidt. Schmidt, how's your week going so far? Good, my friend. How are you doing? No complaints off today, recording on a different night than our usual nights, so got a little more energy, a little more pep in my step. I'm ready to go. Yeah, we're not quite on the the end of the week uh, uh, this time, so... This is going to be very interesting recording on a different day, but hey, you know what we're here for? We're going to adapt. We're going to overcome. So we'll make it happen. That's right. I wouldn't miss our Monday drop. So shout out to all the listeners. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So uh, yeah, in the I guess in the name of last week's episode where we talked about the whole Marine National reissue and all the hubbub surrounding that, I guess it kind of got me thinking because the snowflake was such a coveted tutor. And even though this wasn't necessarily a snowflake reissue, what reissues would I absolutely kill for, <laughs> for lack of okay. a better term? Okay, okay, all right, all right. So that was kind of my idea for the topic for this episode, because reissues have kind of become all the rage in watches, and I guess with good reason, right? Many sure. enthusiasts prefer vintage aesthetic, the timeless design, and I think a lot of people have kind of almost rejected modern cues in that futuristic look. And I think they more enjoy just a refined vintage look because those, those designs just don't die. They're timeless. Right? Yeah, there's exactly. no, there's almost no way to beat them. Yeah. No, no pun intended. They are truly timeless and that's why they're still relevant now, just like they were 60, 70 years ago. Right. It's, it's such a good design. It's, it's, it's always going to be there. Right. And so I think it's a combination of brands drawing on their classic DNA design and also an, um, an uptick in the vintage watch game sort of paved the way for this reissue boom. Mm -hmm, and even mm -hmm. to the non-hobbyist, right? As a non-hobbyist buying a watch, you want something familiar, something that seems classic. And even if they might not know the difference between a reissue and the original, they know they have something that sort of gets the nod one way or another from whether it be uh, somebody who's deep in the hobby or just an average Joe who says, hey, that's a nice watch. Right, right. And so all reissues are not merely recycled designs, right? Some of them don't necessarily need much editing. I think of something like a Datejust, something like a Moon Watch that hasn't changed crazy amounts since its yeah. inception. I mean, there's plenty of references of both, and they have different little nuances to them. But I think you kind of can, can spot the design language of a date just is a date just is a date just you know a moon watch is a moon watch across generations even if it's in something like a mark ii as opposed to your classic speedy professional yeah for sure i mean again it's just there's subtle changes that make them unique and special but if you're lining them up all side by side you're 100 percent gonna be able to tell the difference but the design language is very similar and and to your point it, it's cohesive um it's going to continue and again it is timeless this is why People still want to own moon watches. They want to own Datejusts. It's just a good design overall. And so in that vein, I've got some watches on my end. I think you've got some on your end. I do. And we're going to go back and forth and talk about specific watches that we would give an organ, probably, <laughs> to have reissued by a company. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with mine. Sure. My first pick is a Hamilton. Okay. It's sort of a super cool retro OG diver. It's the Hamilton Super Compressor. 
So I'm talking two crowns. Yes. Two cross-hatched crowns, yes. mind you. Yes. Two cross-hatched so, crowns. So it's the Super Compressor 600. And if you need an example, you could type in reference uh, 64040. Super sweet watch. And super sweet watch. I don't know why super compressors get me. I've never owned one. I've owned an internal rotating bezel before, but I've never yeah, owned a super yeah. compressor. But something about the design just has yeah. always got me jazzed up. And anytime I've seen these watches specifically, I've been like, man, I need one of these. It's and it's such a cool design because it's so weird. And from a diving perspective, like I never really knew how it made sense because you had to unscrew the crown, unlock it, rotate the bezel, set it, then relock the crown in position. But nobody had ever really told me if this was possible to do underwater or if this was done at surface level. Okay, you got me. Wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I and if anybody does know, please hit us in the DMs at Rich Cheese Radio on IG because I I to this day I have no idea. But what was cool about the super compressor is it's kind of like vintagey futuristic design, but it was all born out of function, right? The idea was the further you go down underwater, the case would literally squeeze against itself to enable a higher level of water resistance the further you went down. And we talked about this on last week's episode. You know, the pressure is compounding, right? So as you go deeper, you're getting subjected with more pressure. So this watch would literally squeeze tighter to become more water resistant at depth, which is kind of interesting because it begs the question, is it less water resistant at normal surface pressure? And in some cases, that was kind of the, the overall fault of the super compressor. Um, they were a little leaky <laughs> at, uh, at shallower depths, which is kind of interesting. And I've always wondered the same thing. I think it's a similar design idea with the tuna case. Right, because they don't yeah. use a helium escape valve. They sort of have depended on that pressure clamping down to re prevent helium altogether. Yeah. Another great example of this is the Vostok Amphibia. Yeah. Right. This is why everyone's like, oh, it's got a wobbly crown. Yeah. Must be defective. Case, <laughs> yeah, it must be defective. No, it's designed that way. So when the pressure's compounding on the case, it doesn't snap the stem off in the movement. It's, it's purely an, an ingenious design. And again, I've always I've always likened the the Vostok to like the AK47 of watches. Like it's just like how can we build this with the cheapest amount low quality materials that we possibly can to make it completely functional and water resistant and do all this crazy stuff for like $75 US. And yet it's like, hard to understand. beat. It's hard to beat. Have you uh, a complete side note. Have you ever watched the videos? There's like this video YouTube channel somewhere where they like crush things with pressure. Have you ever watched this? I've seen crushing videos. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a so pressure so crushing it, video. It's like a water resistance pressure testing chamber. And this like this guy and this girl, and they're like Eastern European somewhere. They take a Vostok and they literally crank it up to like the maximum depth that it would be rated to, which is I think is like 200 meters. And they somehow push it to like 800 meters or something wow. like that before it like explodes. <laughs> like it's, it's so far <laughs> over engineered that it's like, it's amazing. I forget the YouTube channel, so I apologize. But uh, if you haven't checked it out, they do like a citizen, like ProMaster. They do a Vostok. They, they're just like love crushing watches <laughs> under water pressure. So definitely check it out. It's very entertaining. Yeah, I'll have to drop that one in the show notes. <laughs> But yeah, I just these ha these old hammies. The the hands are really cool. The markers they almost have like a shape like a gold bar, like that trapezoidal shape to them. 
yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. a lot of angles, and they all work together so well. And I just think I think the the appeal of a super compressor is it's a little bit less obtrusive than a traditional diver in that you don't have that yeah. colored bezel going around the outside. Everything's kind of compact and under the crystal, slightly mm-hmm. dressier. Yeah, for sure. And for sure. Uh, you know, I think part of the challenge would be almost bringing it into the present because you can't necessarily make a one for one a it would piss off the vintage people who own the cool originals and yeah. b i think people look for little updates here and there even if they don't want the design tweaked too much yeah yeah because yeah. what's so, what's the original case dimensions of this i think it's a 38 millimeter if i'm not mistaken yeah it looks it looks on the smaller end but even if you release this in 39 or 40, 40 yeah which is be a perfect size. Now, don't go the long jeans route and do like a 42. Because it's like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, nobody's rocking. But this watch in a 39 or a 40 mil case, I think would be really great. And, you know, I, I always hear that objection a lot where people are talking about, oh, you're going to piss off the vintage community. <laughs> you know, if I own the original one of this version, I would buy the new version. Why? Because I could wear the, the, the vintage one to a meetup. And when I actually want to go in the water or play with my kids in the pool, I could wear the new version. And it would be totally fine. I've always kind of found that that that's a weird, you know, argument because like, oh, it's going to devalue it. No, because people are still going to pay happily the premium for the vintage one because it's the original. The new one has no effect on the value of these of these older pieces. So it's a it's very it's very interesting of an argument. But for me, it's always like, why not have both? Because one is practical and one you can, you know, show up and, and impress your friends. So it's it's. I don't know. I would love to see it though. I low key, I'm pretty sure somewhere in my past, I tagged Hamilton in this and was like, Hey, we should, you guys should make this watch again (laughs) because I love it, especially this reference, which is like the two tone silver dial with a black outer bezel. So sick. And you know, honestly, bro, I don't think this is too far out of the realm of possibility. Right. I don't think that's a stretch. No, especially, especially how Hamilton's been teetering and doing a lot of with their intramatic chronos like they just came out with the manual wine versions this year they had some automatic versions released you know uh, a year or so ago it's a very similar design language i don't think it would be too out of the realm of possibility for hamilton to 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 redo this piece and, and make something cool you know it would be really you sweet. could still speak to their kind of military-ish vibe if you throw it on like a military clip bracelet or something and then maybe you offer a leather or like a tropic. Yeah, to tropic dress it down. Killer. Oh, crush it on a tropic. So sick. So sick. I mean, even if you just did something like a tropic and a NATO version, like again, like this is a diver. Yeah. Is it a dressier one? Absolutely. Can you put it on a nice Harween leather? Sure. But it looks really good on a tropic. So what you're it saying looks is really good on a we should on definitely a fix the spring bars. <laughs> yes yes please fix the spring bars like the fxd so nobody on planet earth will ever be able to wear on anything besides a woven fabric velcro strap that's self-gripping there you go you know it tightens down as you as you go underwater very grippy all right that was my lead off um why don't you okay. hit me with one of yours okay so this it, I want this reissue to happen, and I know it's probably going to happen since we caught a little bit of drama about this earlier in the year. Oh, I love drama. Uh, but <laughs> I know. Who doesn't? I mean, this is what we do. We talk about the unpopular stuff 
So why not bring up some makes, some, uh, some some watch drama? Makes great. So names. for <laughs> exactly. So for me, I have two watches that kind of fall in the same family. So I'll just mention them both. Uh, one is very quick. So the first one is going to be, and I imagine this is probably already in the pipeline. Um, but Time and Tide just released their Doxa 600T, um, which is kind of the Caribbean colorway. So if you're not familiar with Doxa, that's kind of the oceanic blue with the, bl- the, with the bright fluorescent orange and white. They released a specialty model, limited edition for them, of this new watch, the 600T, which is a throwback to kind of the late 70s, early 80s Doxas as they were changing kind of case profile and everything. But they released it in titanium. Yeah. So I would really love to see kind of a modern production version of this model, but in stainless steel and in kind of the cool docks of colorways. I think that would be really cool. And it would be a pretty easy launch since they already have, you know, the molds and everything to make the watch in titanium. So that's fine. But for me, the ultimate kind of drama inducing watch would be a relaunch of the original Doxa Army. And if you remember back, to Instagram land earlier this year. This was good. Uh, you might remember that there was a little bit of, uh, of controversy because Synchron, one of the companies that owns and has re- you know helped to restore vintage dive watch brands like Isoprene, Aquasol. Tropic, so Aquastar, good. Aqua Dive, like so many brands out there. And at one point, Docs was part of this kind of group. Yeah. They, uh, they released the Synchron Military which is a watch that technically isn't their design. It was Doxa's design, but at one point Doxa and Synchron were kind of together. They were part of the same group and then that kind of went away. Then Doxa got resurrected. So it kind of begs the question, like who's really entitled to the design? Who's got the intellectual property? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then what was interesting is Synchron releases this watch and it's a full-fledged timepiece. Like they're taking pre-orders. It's a limited production run. They're selling these bad boys. Literally within days, Doxa had already teased a rendering of their version. And it was, for the community, it was a pretty big miss. It had the wrong handset. The dial coloration looked a little bit off. Yeah, same forced. It was forced, right? It was kind of like Doxa's hand got forced, um, which it sounds like it kind of did. But in a later Instagram post, they showed the proper handset with the proper coloration. And they said, this is an image of our prototype, which nobody's really been able to confirm. Was it an actual (laughs) prototype or was it just one of the watches you pulled out of the museum and snapped a quick photo for IG? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I would really love to see Doxa create the army watch, not the military watch, but the army watch again and do it faithful Make it a, a, a commercial production. It doesn't need to be a limited edition. It's a cool enough watch. Um, and we'll find out, I guess, legally speaking, who would have the rights to lay claim to this design. Because I think precedent is there for both of them. But I, I, I don't know. So it'd be really interesting. So for me, that's kind of my Doxa wish list. I'm a Doxa guy, too. I love Omega. I love Doxa. Um, really, just any dive watch is good for me. So those are my two wishes right now. And, what do you got next, I, bro? If I remember, I think when Doxa dropped that picture, they had a little snarky tag like "Accept nothing but the original." Yes, it was something it was like such that. A trope. Some millennial guy running their <laughs> IG page. He was better. Absu- absolutely had to turn on the jets because you're right. 
I can't remember the exact quote, but it was like, trust nothing better than, or trust that, nothing yeah, but the original. Like yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're getting, we're getting salty in here. And it's, it's 100% true. Um, it's 100% true. I, I wish I could find the original posting, but yeah, it was, whew, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of drama. Wait, oh, I think I found it. Okay, here it goes. The Doxa Army of the 70s is back. Stay tuned. Only the original deserves your trust. That's it. That was the tagline. The controversy, baby. Oh, man. It was uh, it was getting spicy in those DMs that week. It was kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden, it just, like, disappeared. And where Doxa lays, or lays with it or is lying with it right now, I have no idea. I don't know if it's t- tied up in litigation. I don't know if they're waiting until maybe this next year to drop it. Who knows? So we will patiently wait and find out. And I think what makes it spicier is, if I'm not mistaken, I think one of the gentlemen who have a hand in all these um, revival projects is Rick Marai, who used yeah. to be with Doxa. He did. And I think a lot of people refer to the watches during his time there as the Mor- Morai era of yeah. Doxa. Yeah, yeah. And so... I- it only makes the the beef spicier. I, I yeah, it does. Know, I love some and, tea. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, and we're we're all about bringing you the tea on wrist cheese. So, um, from what little research that I have done, uh, kind of surrounding this, because again, there's 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 docs of files out there that are going to know way more information about this than I will ever. I'm just a casual guy who loves the design and wants to own the pieces. But from what I understand, is he and the company parted ways in 2019 under less than amicable circumstances. So he went on, I think, now to kind of really take over Synchron and really start fleshing that out further. And I think that this was kind of a slight back at the company, like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm just going to release the army myself, or as he calls it, the military. Right. So we'll see. I, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of little drama like we said before in episode one, you know, the, the watch community is kind of small. Everybody knows everybody. So it's, uh, it's very interesting to see how this will play out. For sure. All right. On to my next one. Staying with the Tudor family here. Ooh. So the latest drop kind of has snowflake vibes. The Tudor snowflake is one of my favorite vintage watches. They also have so many other good models. They have the mm-hmm. big block. They have the Rangers, Monte Carlo chronographs, all kinds and of yet, cool things in their history. And yet none of those are being remade. No. But one area where I think Tudor could use some help is their dress lines. Okay. Right? They have like the style. They have the new royal. Yeah. There's the glamour. Everyone forgets the glamour collection. Yes, the glamour. <laughs> the, and then you have the... <laughs> I don't even know what you call them. They're called like, I guess just the Black Bay Heritage where it's like 36, 32, 41. Yeah. Yeah. Just Black Bay. Yeah. And, and I think it's just Black Bay and the size is what I think. Yeah. It is. So those are semi-dressy, semi-explorer one-ish. Regardless, I think they could use a little push in that direction. Yeah. One of my favorite vintage dressy pieces is the Tudor Oyster Prince 7996. It's Kind of plain Jane, monochromatic and sterile, mm-hmm. but it's pure class. It's 34 millimeters. 
you can get it with either the big rose at 12 or my personal favorite is it has an index at 12 with the rose engraved in it. It looks so sick. I just Googled this. Man, this watch is killer. They offer and, a couple and, different dials, black, woo. silver, and roulette date wheel, which is so yes. pimp. Yes, it is. This is this is Don Draper's wet dream of a watch. <laughs> I mean, I like I know he wore the Omega, the, yeah. the Seamaster Deville. That's fine. But like if he opens his watch box, this is also inside. Like this is that good of a looking watch. And you can get them with a few different handsets. It's kind of during one of those periods where there was a lot of just mix and match going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can pretty much get whatever rendition you want, which is cool. This is a good looking watch, man. And if you, really I don't know if you've seen looking. it on the bracelet. I know most of them come on straps because probably the bracelet got destroyed, but it comes on yeah. like an old fashioned rivet looking bracelet. Now you bring mm -hmm. that thing up to the present, right? You can kind of follow the Tudor theme here. You can offer it in 32, 36, 40. Yeah. Different metals. You can keep the roulette date, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I said, it came on a rivet. You could maybe throw it on like a yeah. newer, like stretch rivet. I yeah. think it would be awesome. I mean, I, I really think their their dress lines. They just need a little pep in their step, and I think this yeah. would. Do it. Yeah, I mean, because again, it's like as you mentioned, they they keep adding dress line pieces, but it's like in the wrong, I think, vein. Like, there's also the 1926. Yep, that came out. Great looking watch. It's like I just don't know what style it's trying to be. Right? Like, is it its own thing? Is it riffing on something? Like, I don't know. But this watch, it's honest Rolex slash Tudor design language. And it's just, it's just good. Like, it looks really good. And that little detail that you showed me here with the rose embedded into the 12 o'clock marker. Yeah. It's so gangster. It looks so good. Because I can see the other references in the Google search, right? I can see the, there's the big rose. That's right at 12. Yep. I can see models with kind of a smaller rose underneath the 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 uh the indice, but the rose on the indice is really, really cool. And the thing though that worries me about this is like knowing modern modern tutor, they're gonna put a shield on it and just be like, it would just ruin it. And make it 42 millimeters. Yeah, it it would just <laughs> ruin it because it's like it it you need the rose, man. That was the best logo. This shield it nonsense is, elite. is just, it is an elite look. Uh, it like I know it somehow feels more delicate in kind of its like brand imagery, but there's something about that rose that just it feels like it's like subtle but powerful, right? Like the shield is okay, it's a strong statement. I get that, but that that rose, that flower, the original symbol of the royal family. That to me is not only pure class, it's a low key symbol of power and authority and control. And I think that that's, I think that's what Tudor needs, man. I was, I fell in love with the Black Bay back in the day when it came out and it had the rose and the smiley dial. Yeah. Like that was just, it was so good. And like if Tudor just went back to that, I think it would turn on and attract a lot more modern consumers to back to Tudor. Not that there already isn't a lot, but I mean, even more so because it just feels more classic, I think. Yeah, it's a little more of their own identity. Speaking yeah. of which, I think those models, um, 
if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if it's all of them or just a lot of them have, you get a Rolex signed crown mm-hmm. and I think a Rolex case back on those, which oh, is kind of probably cool. And probably a bracelet too. So Probably a bracelet. Kind of all was, neat little Easter yeah. eggs here and there. And you know, maybe, maybe bro, if Tudor was ever listening to this podcast, maybe what they should do is keep the shield for their professional line of watches and then keep the rose for dress pieces. I love something it. a little I'm something in. more classic design. Like, why not? Right? Maybe that's the delineation. Because I think that would be sick. Yeah, it would look know. great on David Beckham. <laughs> you know he's not going to wear that. He's too busy <laughs> leaking watches that are prototypes. For sure. All right. Okay. That was uh, my second guy. What do you got? Okay, well... You guys know I'm a huge Omega fan, so I can't, I can't lead a conversation in a podcast without talking about my favorite brand. So you better not take mine. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not taking yours. But I did want to come up with something a little bit off the cuff, a little bit out of left field, and something that maybe those of you who aren't too familiar with Omega are unaware about. But I've always loved this piece. I think it's so good. I wish it would come back into the catalog, even if it was a a limited edition or kind of a collector's piece or, you know, maybe with the new Bond franchise, if they decide to do something crazy, like, you know, take Bond back to the 60s and have it play out back that way. I've heard some people that want to see that. Why not put him in in a vintage inspired Omega, which I think would be sick. And I think this watch could certainly fit the bill. So this is a Seamaster 120, and it's what it's a what Omega collectors call the deep blue, which is not to be confused with the big blue. So the big blue is a chronograph GMT diver. This one is a Seamaster 120 with beautiful lacquered blue dial. It has an incredibly weird but funky 70s-esque handset and indices around the dial. It's very luminous, very cool all matte brush case and it looks amazing on a mesh bracelet it's just a very cool watch and what was even cool about this piece too is it also has a military heritage the israeli idf the defense forces for the israeli army they were actually ordering these watches and issuing them to military personnel during the late 60s early 70s so it's a very cool watch and something i really wish would come back into the catalog because i just oh man i love it i'm so looking much. at this thing this thing is nuts <laughs> it's so sad. There's nothing dude. not to like about this. I it's love so the K 70s. shape. I love the indices. Oh, this is phenomenal. I mean, can can you imagine that coming back and just be like, all right, we're gonna do a small production run of this watch, or we're gonna make a a a collector's capsule collection. I don't know, something funny. Like, why not? Or it's an anniversary. I don't know. Just do something funky, Omega. Bring this watch back because it's so good. And it's just one of those designs that like people are naturally drawn to. I remember back in the day when I was still working in the store, um, there was a vintage guy who collected all kinds of stuff. And he had this watch. And I had never seen it before in person. And he, he, he brought it in. And it was fitted onto the Omega seatbelt style um, mesh braces. So okay. for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the clasp 
opens and latches kind of like an airplane seatbelt, right? And it's made of mesh. It's how Omega's dive watches used to come in the 60s and 70s. And I saw this thing, and it was just like, like, you just get sucked right to it, you know? Like, you see it, and it's like, okay, I need to ask you. Yeah, what is low this? Key, like, what is this <laughs> without being rude or weird? Like, what is this? How do I get one? And, like, why can I try it on? Like, like I want to see this watch up front, up close. And it was, to this day, it's, as I mentioned with that Tintin, like, in episode two or whatever, it's like, yeah, this it's is a watch that haunts you. Yeah, it's it, it's haunt it's haunt worthy. This is a watch that will haunt you, and it's just so good. Um, I would kill, I would kill to have it back. Yeah, I'm giving away an organ for this one. Probably one that I have two <laughs> of, long kidney, something like that. You know, you don't need everything. No, you don't need everything. Oh, <laughs> and I thought you were gonna take mine as soon as you said Omega Seamaster. I got a little uh-huh. worried. Uh huh. Uh huh. I too chose an Omega Seamaster, and I even in choosing it, I knew I was in dangerous territory. But it's not the same one. Okay, Lay it my on. Omega Seamaster choice is the sort of mil spec Seamaster three hundred. Um, okay. If you need a reference, ST one sixty five dot zero two four works. It's got the sword hands. I think it's forty one millimeter. This thing is everything you could want in a diver. It's got super cool fonts. It's got the open sixes and nines. This is like what I think of when I think mil spec diver. I know mm-hmm. there's the fifty fathoms. I know there's mil spec subs. For me, this is it. Mm-hmm. And this is everything I loved about the somewhat faithful rendition, the Peter Blake Seamaster. Yeah, yeah. It's just got so many cool little pieces about it. To me, there's nothing not to like about this. Super clean. It's got the big triangle at twelve. Yes, everyone loves that big triangle. Yeah, it's, it's so a, good. It's a thing. It's you know, it's like the uh, phallic symbol at the top of the Speedmaster. It's just <laughs> an amazing. Oh, I'm looking. I'm looking at mine right now, and just like there it, it is. is, just chilling, just chilling. Doesn't matter how old it is, still got one. <laughs> That's right. You know, I. This is a good choice. Again, you you know where my heart lies. This is an amazing choice, and I was scared. I was scared you were going to go there. I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I. I would have picked this watch and I almost did actually pick this watch, but I was like, you know what? It's a little bit too on the nose for me. It's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's like too obvious. So it's like, let me just pick something different that maybe somebody might not be aware of. And let's, you know, let's shuffle the deck a little bit. We talked about, you know, no diversity of thought or collections out there. For like, sure. I'm tired of people talking about the same stuff. I right now on this podcast, kind of just thinking about what we've thrown out there so far. I cannot imagine that another podcast that would discuss this topic, if they ever did, would bring up these models. I think the they might take this one. With the exception of this one, yes. maybe. Right? Like, but everything else is out there. And that's I'm, exactly I'm that. how I it like should that. be. Yeah, that's our style, man. Like, I want to introduce people to other stuff outside of the norm. And for those of you who are listening to this, go look at these references. Go check them out. Because they're so cool, I think you're going to really appreciate it. And there's a ton of variation. The Seamaster 120 line in general is just super cool. Yeah. Another one of my low-key favorites, the Seamaster Banana 200. Like, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go check it out. I feel like this is going to turn up some interesting results on Google. It is like the 70s threw up on a dive watch. And, like, the saturation is at full blast. Oh, yeah. 
It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's like this is with the Coke bezel. Yes, yes. It has a Coke bezel on it. It has a bright banana yellow dial with again, kind of like this alternating like marker track with the with the indices and everything. It's so weird. There was a lesser, kind of more quieted version in a gray dial, but this is the one to get the banana two hundred. Like you show up to well, a maybe it would never. I'm sorry. You show up to a meetup with this. Oh yes. Everybody is going home thinking about your watch. Yeah, you're every the talk single of the town. person though. You're talking to town. I mean, like, how could you not be? Because this is like a rare bird. It wasn't produced for very long. It was very esoteric. Obviously, it was not a watch that sold <laughs> flying off the shelves because of its banana yellow colored dial. But it was really cool. So Omega was doing a lot of experimental things with diving and dive technology back then. Um, in many ways, they still are, but it's even more so kind of in the, the, the golden age of skin diving. So that is a watch is truly representative of this, but I will say this, I do have a story that kind of encompasses the, the watch that you just picked. Okay. So back in, again, going back in <laughs> to my retail days, um, since we were an Omega AD, we would oftentimes facilitate Omega services. Now it wasn't often that we got vintage pieces coming through, but I will never forget this story. There was a guy, it was, my, it was one of the days I was working, and I, again, being the Omega guy, a lot of times I was asked to, to handle Omega-related things, especially if, let's say, the normal salesperson who was there or was dealing with that person just didn't have the answers. So in this case, I got called up to the bed, or to the plate, I should say. And this young kid, he must have been must have been 16, 15, 16 years old. And he's like, hey, they told me you'd probably be able to help me. And I was like, okay, like, sure, I can take a look at what you got. So all of a sudden, he reaches into his backpack, and you just hear like this clanking, jingling sound. Oh, no. And out comes this like tattered Ziploc bag. And I'm just like, oh, God, the bag. It's like, immediately, you already know it's a service. Like, and then the fact that it's like rattling, it's like it's not a good service because it's like <laughs> there's parts that are like jingling. OK, it sounds like a like a set of janitor's keys. So he pulls out this bag and he's like, hey, is there somewhere we can sit down? So I take him to the presentation desk. We have a seat. He like opens it up and like outpours a bezel and a case and a movement and a dial with some hands floating around like this was a early big triangle Seamaster. No. And it just flopped out of this bag onto the table. And I'm sitting to myself. I'm like, okay. So we're dealing with something a little bit different. And he's like, yeah. He's like, this is my grandfather's watch. And I was like, oh, no way. He goes, yeah. Uh, it was his. And uh, he wore it in combat every wow. single day in Vietnam. And I was like, what? And so I'm starting to look at the dial. And it's got this beautiful tropical patina. <sighs> It's got this crazy, crazy matching color with the bezel and the hands and all. It's a like, barn it's, just, it's it's just perfect, but it's beat to crap because again, the guy who bought this like bought it as a tool. He's like, ah, this is a good watch. I can go climb into the swampy jungles of Vietnam, and and he's like, yeah, he's like the watch saved his life. He used to time, you know, all this crazy stuff with it, and. My, it, you know, my grandfather, upon leaving his deployment, it got in, like the watch got damaged and he just never serviced it. 
He's like, it's been in this condition for decades. Wow. And so the kid tells me that he was like rummaging around his grandfather's sock drawer one day. And like, he found it like in his bag. And so he asked his grandfather about it. He's like, ah, that old, that old watch. He's like, I don't even know who makes it. And his son was kind of like in the watch or his grandson was kind of in the watches. And he's kind of like, well, well, grandfather, this is like an Omega. And he's like, I like, I don't know what it is. Like, it was just a watch you bought yeah. at the army exchange, right? It was a tool. And he's like, so if I, if I pay to have this watch fixed, can I keep it? And the, his grandpa's like, sure. You do whatever the hell you want with that piece of crap. It's broken. So this kid takes this dude's watch, his grandfather's watch, and he brings it to us to send out for service. $1,600 and this baby was ticking again, brand new, running at, I think it was like two seconds a day. It hadn't run in probably 50 years. And it was just so cool. When you put it, when it like it came back from service and uh, it was an expensive one back then. They're, they're a little bit more expensive now, but even then it was back, it, back then it was pretty expensive. But Omega did it right. Like they did a dial restoration. So not a replacement. A restoration. Oh, really nice. That's so- what I was going to ask if they... Yeah, so it was the original dial. They restored it by hand. You know, they they did you know as much as possible. He wanted not to have the case polished, so they honored that. Um, they did have to replace the crown and everything because they actually certified this for diving water resistance. So Omega recertified the case. Oh wow! To be fully water resistant, and it was just like it was crazy. So a really funny story. This kid like brings me a Ziploc bag with like a big triangle Seamaster and just like flops out. And then he's like, yeah, I get to keep it now. <laughs> Cause I was got like an fix. elite vintage watch. Yes. I was like, I was like, kid, you have no idea like how amazing this watch is, how rare it is and how like people would pay top dollar for this watch. So yeah, never sell very that. cool. <laughs> yeah. N- never sell that. It's like, sorry, grandpa. Uh, my watch is worth a lot more than you thought it was. <laughs> Yeah. And then I was just thinking like along the lines of bringing it into the present, like you, like I said, you have the Peter Blake, which is sort of like almost a refresh on the design. But the cool part about the Peter Blake was you could get that on the Seamaster bracelet or the Speedy bracelet. Yeah. Imagine, imagine a diver like that on the new Speedy bracelet. Like now the hairs are standing (laughs) up on my neck. Maybe not quite as big of a taper, but sure. Yeah. You know, the taper's nice, pretty the, the taper's pretty dramatic on the new speedy. Nice coaxial movement in it, you know. We 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 touched on this it. before. We I'm touched on this it. before. Again, Omega, not that you ever would, but if you do, listen to this podcast. Please take some notes cuz the community is knocking on your door. We want some cool stuff and we hope it's coming down the pipe. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, baby. Now, I know I had some honorable mentions lined up because I was sure you were taking my Seamaster. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you have any, but I have a couple that I'll run through as well. Sure. What do you got? Another Omega that I love, absolutely love, like I chase these all the time online, is the old Pie Pan Constellation. Solid these story. are so classic dress watch. Like I know. The dials are insane. They come in a bunch of different metal varieties and they look great on a bracelet. They look great on a strap. Really good on a strap. You got the really cool case back. There is nothing not to love about these watches. And I I look at them all the time and I'm I'm just salivating, waiting to find the one, I feel like. But these are just, 
that pie pan dial gets me every time. Yeah. And if they could re-release that whole package, I, I mean, I think it would be a killer. I know they're kind of moving away from that with the, the newer constellations. But everybody loves a vintage reissue. I think yeah, I mean that I mean that's kind of what the Globe Master was supposed to be, but right. I think it has the similar dial. I, it has a similar dial, but I think you know, I own a Globe Master. I, I, I really do love this watch. It's, I've it's seen a it. super esoteric watch. It's not for everybody, and that's okay. But I think with that design, you could push the envelope a little bit further, and I think it could get even better. And I think what if Omega decides to at some point relaunch the the globe master or kind of issue a generation two if you will or actually i think technically it would be generation three of the globe master if you count the vintage one um it would be really cool to to kind of take more of that pie pan-esque style and lean into it right give us back the black onyx markers give yeah. us back that really really aggressive pie pan make the cases maybe 38 millimeters instead of 39. I mean, it's a small diameter. These old change. ones, I think, were like 35, right? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, most modern sensibilities, men aren't going to wear yeah, a 34, they're not 35 watch. I mean, it, it, let's be honest. It's like 39 is a great size. I love my Globe Master in 39. But even if you went to 38, especially because as it seems for me from an outward perspective, you start the to trends. People. Well, there's that, but I feel like the trends are kind of reining themselves back in. Right. You know, five, six, seven years ago, everything was 45 millimeters and up. And all of that is slowly starting to work itself back. That I think, you know, a lot of collectors today are looking for smaller pieces. I mean, I just know from from my own experience that I've seen more 38 millimeter Aquaterras being sold from Omega than in the last five years. And that's always been in yeah. the collection, right? People want smaller timepieces again because they want to have that more compact style. And again, five years from now, it's probably going to go the reverse direction. But at least for right now, why don't you make? Why don't we make a thirty-nine, thirty-eight Globemaster? Bring it in a little bit smaller. Lean into that vintage styling because I think it would be an even better watch. And I think if Omega changes the movement a little bit, maybe for a thinner version, like in their eighty-eight hundred series instead of the eighty-nine hundred series. I think that would be a really rock solid home run. And I think it's going to be a watch that people would want to own truly. Yeah. And I think you're, you're hundred percent right about the, the whole size thing, because even though, for example, like the jumbo Royal Oak is the one that's in demand. I see so many people looking for that 37 millimeter yep. all the time because it's mm -hmm. the proportions are just beautiful on it. And there's just something about, I don't know, that midsize watch, on your wrist it just looks good i don't know if it's just because i have a pretty average size wrist and a smaller watch you get the whole package fit on the wrist it doesn't not too much overhang yeah it looks really good i guess sort of like you would envision one from an ad or something whereas you know you go up into the 43 44 you, you get some lug overhang yeah you know it doesn't always sit evenly when it touches your wrist bone so i really enjoy those smaller pieces and i think for dress watches it's it's almost ideal yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I mean, it's supposed to be something that fits very easily under under a shirt sleeve or a shirt cuff, as many people want to say. And, and, you know, for me as a watch enthusiast, I've never really cared about that. I want people to notice my watch, especially <laughs> if I do something cool and I'm in a dress shirt or suit or whatever. It's, it's part of the thing, right? But 
Um, I know that's not everyone's cup of tea. They want to protect their watch. They don't want to show it off. I mean, that's that's okay. That's 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 fine. But those older designs having the right dimensions really allows it to go under without any issues and makes right. it very compact. So I think um, I think with that said, it's like I I would love to see this watch come back and be a real faithful tribute to to the constellation because let's be honest when some people think about vintage omega they think about omega constellations i know i do i mean that is the watch i mean it was one of the first watches in the world to to popularize chronometer grade movements like that is a big deal there wasn't really such a thing back then in the, in the mid-century with with chronometers you had a very few kind of sparse models here and there but the Constellation was like the launching point for Omega. It was the Constellation that made this thing happen. So um, it would really be cool to see it kind of come back full full cycle. And even those 70s ones with those funny cushiony type cases also. So cool. <laughs> so cool. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very cool. Common misconception, though. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Constellation's Gerald Genta design. It's actually not the design that people think. Did you know this? Yeah, so everyone assumes like kind of like the integrated bracelet version is like the Gerald Genta design constellation. Uh, no, <laughs> he designed a model from like the mid '60s. It's like a cushion case. Really? Completely. Yeah, completely the opposite of what he would have designed later on when he did the upper paddock and AP and everybody. I think it just shows you taste change, man. It's a real taste thing. change. It was yeah, very very strange, very strange. A little sidebar there. Shout out Petros from the Omega Museum. So I did have one more that we haven't discussed okay, um, in my collection. That's not an honorable mention, but I do also have some of those. I came prepared for class. Good. Um, <laughs> but one of my personal favorites that I would really love to see relaunched if it's possible. And again, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what the brand's direction is. But again, it's another Omega. Um, I would really love to see the Speedmaster Holy Grail. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with this, I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you may have heard of this watch before. But if you haven't, um, the Speedmaster Holy Grail was a very unique Speedmaster reference. I couldn't tell you which reference number it is. But it was released primarily in the German and Italian market in like the early 80s. And what was unique about it is was a Speedmaster case with a day-date movement. 24 hour indicator jumbo chrono minute hand. I gotta look. A lot of people think it's a GMT, but it's not. It's a, it's a jumbo chrono minute hand. And then your regular hour, minute, and time indication for chronograph and the regular time. Um, they call it the Holy Grail because it's literally like all the complications. Yeah, that's what it looks part. like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's automatic, which is even crazier. Um, it was a very unusual Speedmaster. It was only in the collection for a few years. It, like I said, pr primarily German and Italian markets. And it had a very like presidential style bracelet on it. I see that. People clamor for this bracelet because it's so crazy. And I think both Forstner and uh, Uncle Seiko Uncle just Seiko, released. Yeah. yeah. They just released an homage to this bracelet. I think it's the 1450, 1410. I, I could be wrong, but I think it's 1450. But it's kind of that presidential style. This watch 
with an upgraded master chronometer movement. Oh yeah, this is keeping gangster. keeping the vintage style. I I mean I it would really it would be really hard for me to think of a better speedmaster. And especially if you're looking for something that's maybe not Moonwatch, like OG Moonwatch, like give you something different, this would be it. Yeah, I kind of dig and, the triple date. This is like the triple date on steroids. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a little bit different complication, but yeah, I mean it's 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 very cool. And again, from a very practical standpoint, I mean you have day function, you have date function. Like from a pilot's perspective, you have a giant chronograph minute hand. So as as the chronograph goes around, there's literally a giant hand that ticks around the dial. And that's why you see the dial graduations are so aggressive. Like yeah. there's so many different lines is because it's to make it easier to read, uh, which is it's so sick. Like, oh, man, this is it's it's honestly like one of my favorite watches ever. And, and I wish, you know, I feel like this this is a nice representation back. of the six, nine, twelve chrono, because I feel like the. Three six nine mm-hmm. get all the love between yeah. the, the Speedy Pro, the Daytona, the El Primero. I feel like everybody when they think chronograph, they think three six nine. This is a very yes. very classy representation of a six nine twelve. Yeah, and, and it was it, it's so cool. Like it's got it's got the 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 stick markers, but it also has like the minutes. So you have like the number track yeah, around it on some of the models. Like it, it's just, it's such a funky design. Um, and these are rare. Like they're, they're like, they're fairly rare. They're fairly expensive. Last time I checked, these were floating around the 20 to 25,000 mark for like original versions. And that that's up from, you know, five, 10 years ago when they were around the 10 to 15. So um, these watches are continually going up in value because people are realizing how, rare they are and quite frankly the entire collector community really wouldn't know too much about these watches if it wasn't for uh chuck maddox and i don't know if you are familiar with him or his i am work. not so chuck maddox and, he, and unfortunately he passed away many years ago but chuck maddox was one of the original people to get involved in collecting speedmasters back on the forum days so Back before there was Houdinki and all these things, he was compiling essentially a Speedmaster Collector's kind of like 101. The compendium. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like it would be basically like an early version, a very primitive version of like the Moonwatch. Moonwatch only, yeah. Yeah. Like those guys were inspired by Chuck Maddox. Like he laid the ground, he laid the foundation, the groundwork for this speedy collecting hobby to really take off. He got involved with, you know, the watchmakers in the forums talking about stuff. He was able to, to kind of identify that, you know, there's different decimal spacings and, and, and different, you know, fonts that were fonts. used on the bezels. Like, yeah, got it, over it got 90. Crazy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He was one of those guys and he was one of the early ones. And unfortunately, I believe he passed away from cancer in the early 2000s, but he, his database is still online. Um, you can Google Chuck Maddox and he's the one that coined the tail, the coin, the name, I should say, the Holy Grail. So that's why the collector community knows it as the Holy Grail is because that was his term. He considered it the ultimate speedmaster of speedmasters. That is a very interesting tidbit. I'm going to win speedmaster trivia. There you go. There (laughs) you go. Not that you guys can shout me out on social media, but uh, you could always... Drop a like or a thumbs up on Rich Cheese Radio on IG if you have any questions about Speedmaster history. 
So going back in history of a different watch that I happen to also own and okay. happen to love, I'm a big Seiko Alpinist guy. I do this know is that. Probably the grail of Seiko Alpinists. It is the SS A SS Alpinist, it is known as. And it stands for okay. Seven Summit Action for Sustainable Society. Ultimate mouthful. Anyway, yeah. basically, there's only like 500 of these things made, and they're, they have an 8F quartz movement, like a super high accuracy quartz movement in them. Okay. That's one, a, that's one That's one. step below the Grand Seiko, right? Because the Grand Seiko is 9F quartz? Yep. Yeah, so, okay. All right. Teal dial, orange GMT hand, perpetual calendar movement. I see that. There's, there's only like 500 of these things made, and they go for like 5Gs. But this is like... What? Are you Alp serious? Yeah, if you have this, you are like the alpinist pimp like <laughs> it is the ultimate flex even just among seiko collectors this is an ultimate flex like it is so cool and it looks great and i, I realize they won't reissue it one to one but if right. they can make something in the vein as they kind of have tried to do with their like chronographs recently they've released quote unquote speed timers they've yeah, released yeah. a tribute to the panda yeah. 6138 yeah, you're talking about the new uh, the prospects chronos, right? Yeah, so they've yeah. they've kind of hearkened to those designs, but they don't yeah. recreate them. If they did that with one of these, even just the color scheme, I feel like would sell like hotcakes. It's like a they, it's a very cool dial. Like it's a it's like an aquamarine, yeah. or like a turquoisey color. It's not it's the very teal you strange. see every day. Yeah, no, no, not at all. When you when you describe this to me, this is not at all what I picture. <laughs> it's like this is this is almost in some ways like the like the antithesis of Seiko. It's like, all right, how can we stay conservative? And then bam, turquoise dial. It's like I did not see this one coming. Yeah, and they it's have cool. similar models historically. I think they offered a black dial and maybe mm -hmm. a, maybe they're white or a silver. I can't remember. But there's there's a white dial. It looks like it's fully loomed. It's like a full okay, loom dial. That's what I was but thinking. Those are both in titanium. Right. Was this one in titanium or is it steel? You know, I'm not sure. I okay. again, they're so rare. It's one of those things that I've always like kind of coveted passing over. But I, it's a, I know it's, it's a unicorn. Yeah, it's not worth me getting into because I'm I'm not picking one up for six grand because you know who knows <laughs> people people could fake anything nowadays. So yeah, yeah, right. not trying to get burned on that. <laughs> but yeah, this has always been one that I pass over. And there there is a guy I think who has one on my feed who I follow, and his his uh, handle is. Detoy Eagle, D-I-T-O-Y underscore Eagle. And he's a tremendous Seiko collector. I don't know if he has connections or what, but he has like every Seiko under the sun. And it's check out his feed sometime if you're in, down to gawk some historical Seikos. Very, very cool. But this I'm is one that's popped right up now. and it's just like, it's insanity. Like, it's, you know, it's like you said, holy grail. Like, it's one of those ones that you just covet. And for me, yeah. this one would be like home run. You reissue this thing. Followed. All right, I got him. I got him followed now. Yeah, definitely. Where and he sells some stuff too, time to time. I, I, uh -oh. I definitely got the eye out for him when he drops those. Ooh, he's like, hey, I'm selling this turquoise Seiko. It's gonna be ten thousand dollars. Bro, yeah, like, he's all got right. all those cool like uh, <laughs> like those quartz divers that with like the teal dial, like all these little nuanced pieces yeah. that I'm like the super jealous of. Yeah, like all the JDM stuff that yes. like, you finally can get like smuggled over. Yes. <laughs> like, like nobody I'm knows. Just like so envious, but yeah. Definitely. Hey, you know what? Maybe that's something that you and I need to do one day. We need to link up and we just need to go to Japan and just go like Seiko hunting. 
Bro, I took Japanese in college. We can. I know how to get to the bathroom and I can order food. So, hey, there we go. Let's go. The only thing I'm going to be eating is sushi all week. I'll be fat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we'll do a lot of walking. Although, I I guess that's true. They have beer vending machines, which could be total trouble. That's true. But they also, uh, they don't like you to loiter. There's like very few like park benches and stuff. Uh, I'm a big loiter. (laughs) (laughs) No, me too. It's like, can I just drink this beer right here on this park bench and just loiter here for a minute? It's going to make this in New Orleans. It's like, yeah, you just need to move, sir. (laughs) Get out of here. So, so was that for you? Was that an honorable mention? It was, it's. It almost made it in, but it, it was definitely an honorable mention. And I guess along with that, I'd also go with the – and they, like I said, they've kind of started to do this, even though it's not a one-to-one. But I have such a love for the 6138, 6139 chronographs, vintage Sega. I have a vintage 6139, but so many cool models. Yeah. Kakume, Panda, Pogue. You have the different color Pogues, the Sievert, um, the Sonar, the – the Bruce Lee is the one I have. Deep Blue, UFO. There's a million different re- renditions, it seems like, of these. And yeah. they're all so cool in different ways. And the movements are great. They all have cool, like these old railroad-style bracelets and stuff. And I, I, they're super janky, but, like, they're so retro. It It's so awesome. And I just wish they yeah. would release something closer to a one-to-one. Not an exact, but a little more than the – like the SRQ chronograph they Sega released is like a panda, but it's not at all the same. You know, the the panda yeah. I think of is the the two register. This one, yeah, the, exactly. The yeah, recent yeah, one is sure. a three six nine. You know, it's got offset di- uh, sub dials and stuff, but I wouldn't look at it and say, "Oh, that's a tribute to the original panda." Yeah, color scheme wise, sure, but I think it's a little bit of a stretch the other way, but. They're just so great, and I talked about this on my uh, the episode of Whiskey and Watches I hosted. I had DC Vintage Watch on. He's a tremendous vintage Seiko guy, and he's a huge That's 6139 right. guy. And he he just talked up a storm. So if you haven't heard that one and you're into that, definitely go check. Oh that no, one out. I I de- yeah I definitely have heard it, and and all the listeners, yeah. If you haven't heard that, you better you better to listen to it because if you're interested in vintage Seiko, the guy is the guy. Like he lays it all down. The celeb is by the vintage Seikos from this dude. Like that is your man. Yeah. What up, Nick? There you go. <laughs> but he, um, he, he's the plug. He's yeah, the plug. That's right. But yeah, I just they they're just so cool and they have such history. As far as where the company's been, I mean, it's crazy. This little Japanese company was, you know, flirting with Zenith and Hoyer for the first Auto Chrono, and whether they beat them or not, like, kind of crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So I just have a soft spot for those. But if they could reissue any one of them in some close resemblance, I would be all over that. Yeah, I mean, how how could you not, though? Like, how could you not have a soft spot for some of these things? Because, again, like, all these decades later, they're still relevant. We're still talking about them. We're still lusting after them. That is – my Bruce Lee is a vertical clutch column wheel chronograph. My Speedmaster is not. Yeah, it's a cam. Yeah. Kind of nuts. Yeah. Doesn't make it any lesser of a movement, but by today's standards, right? Somebody releases a chronograph, you're looking for a column wheel. Yeah. Yeah. 
And especially a vertical clutch if you yeah. if you know all the technical stuff behind it. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 crazy, man. Again, there this is why the this is why collecting and 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 the community is so good sometimes because it's just like you can find gems like this that are just like yeah, that's it. That's the one. Right? And for me, there's there's still I'll, I have a couple more honorable mentions since we'll wrap up this episode. Both of them are bulovas. Um, okay. For me, I American know, right? watchmaking. Let's yeah, go. you got to You know, we got to do. We we went all over the place. Sure. Went to Switzerland. We came back to Japan, and now we're coming back stateside with some bulovas. So, um, for me, a New this York is company, a pretty, by the way. You know, it is. It is now. It's uh, a very different company, but, but that's the building okay. is still there. The bull of a building is still there, it, and it is. It is an epic building, like the giant signage outside. It's like they let everybody know <laughs> this is the bull of a building. I remember when I when I was visiting you last. I, I we we drove or not we, but on my way to go visit with you, I saw it and I was like, "Ooh, that's sick." Um, so uh, this is a, a it's a dive watch because again you guys know I love dive watches. This is the Bulova, right? This is the Bulova M7 diver. Um, it is Check technically it a devil diver, but it's not the oceanographer that they have released right now. Okay, kind of mil spec a little bit. It's a little it's a little bit of mil spec. It, it's um, it's kind of like a fifty fathoms and a sub had a baby. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the one they just released, but not quite. Definitely different. Yeah, so the one they just it's released super is cool. the yes, so the one they just released is the Mill Ships version. Right, and there was like a limited version and like a non-limited version. You get like a little bronze helmet or something. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, this version would be basically like in the lineage of Bulova dive watches. This would be a little bit later on. So this Ooh, is white I think, dial. Yes, there is a silvery white dial, and it's sick. It's kind of it's kind of like that same design language as like the uh, that Hamilton you brought out, right? Yes. Like the white on black, it just looks very good. It does but the uh, the M seven diver very cool. It wasn't made very long. Again, this was kind of a weird time where Boulevard was really fighting for all the military contracts and all that stuff. Um, so it's a very interesting watch, and and I've seen arguably that. Many vintage collectors of this watch consider it like one of the best Bulova designs like ever made. Which looks like it came on a Tropic. It well, a lot of them did back then. Like that was kind of an option, right? Like everyone was buying Tropics. Super cool, very very cool watch. So I have that one, and then the last one. We don't really need to get into all the specifics because you guys probably are familiar. But the last one is a relaunch of the Bulova Astronaut. Very cool watch. Has some space history. Didn't really do well in space, but <laughs> uh, was certainly attempted. Some of the astronauts were rocking them. Uh, Bulova was really pushing for that contract uh, with the space program. So, I mean, it made sense, right? An American watch company, uh, American astronauts should be flying a watch made in America. Made sense. So the Bulova Accutron astronaut was made. But uh, I think that there was issues with... Um, with how the watch performed and the batteries and everything like that. Because one of the downsides to Accutron that a lot of people don't realize is just the consumption of the battery. Because it had that continuous sweep and the tuning fork movement, it just sucked so much power from the battery. And so a lot of these these earlier kind of quartz timepieces with, yeah, the, these are with beautiful. the uh they're they're gorgeous watches. 
But these earlier watches, they had that kind of like open back. You had like the little indent where you could put like a quarter or something in there and open it up really fast. That was by design because you had to change the batteries pretty often. And you most most of the time had to change them yourself. So to uh, to make that easier for everybody, they added those little kind of like access doors, if you will. But I've heard that some of those old, those original Accutrons, like you had to change the battery like three times a year. They were that, that crazy. Like we're spoiled now when we hit like five, 10 years and it's like one battery change. Just like, could you imagine like every six months, like having to swap your battery? Like, hold on guys. It's no longer ticking. We gotta, we gotta do something. It's, it's not humming anymore. And did I hear about a reissue of something along these lines recently? Yes. Yes, so our our good friends at Forstner Bands, uh, shout out to them. Uh, Forstner Bands is toying with a Bulova, or I guess I guess it's not a Bulova, but a Forstner astronaut okay. kind of reissue. I don't think that they've gone into production or anything like that. Um, I'm pretty sure that maybe they're kind of just testing the waters. Okay, yeah, here we go. So it's called the Forstner A12. And it looks to be a spiritual homage, if you will, to the original um, Boulevard Astronaut. I see it. Okay. Yeah. It looks very cool. I don't know if it it does come on a force and a bracelet, but I don't think that it has a second hand. I think it's just our minute and then GMT hat. So we'll see. We shall see. Um it's going to be an interesting timepiece. You know, I, I I guarantee you they probably opted for no second hand on this one because the original would have had the sweep. It's not going to have the sweep, hand. yeah. Yeah. And if you did a quartz movement, then you would certainly be seeing a ticking. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I mean, it's very hard to find an original condition Boulevard astronaut or Accutron astronaut. So maybe this is the next best thing for all of us who can't uh, and don't want to hunt down those vintage Trying to scratch pieces. the itch, yeah. Yeah. Accutrons are hard to service too, so... Not an easy thing to do. But that's it for me, my friend. That's all I got. Um, tapped out. I think those were some real nice off-the-beaten-path choices. I don't think anybody's coming up with those. I mean, hopefully our listeners are like, all right, hold on, guys. I need to do a quick Google search on all of this stuff because it's like this is too off the wall. Well, I think that's the oh. best part about kind of the hobby in general. And I think what people kind of missed about meetups and all that with the whole pandemic thing is just that you don't get exposure to people who, I guess, lust after these pieces that you've never yeah. even heard of. And next thing you know, somebody else turns you on to it. And you're like, now I need. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No longer no longer a want. Now it's a need. Yeah, need, like immediately, right? Like yeah, you just get right. struck and it's crazy. And I, I guess that's kind of what's kind of been missing from the hobby because you don't have those. Oh, totally. Con- I mean, DMs are great and you know, scrolling down the feed is fun and look at the people's stories, but that person, person interaction, especially when they have one in front of you, like mm-hmm. there's nothing like when you pick up a watch and you're like, Oh my God, I need this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's also like the, the hype and everything surrounding like the event and all that stuff is like, you see it and everyone's just like the energy is buzzing. Like everyone's good to go. And like, they're ready to rock. And it's just like, okay, all right. Again, I didn't, I didn't want this. Now I need it. And like, I have to go and find it and I'm going to kill myself if I don't like it's, it has to be there. I got to get it. Yeah. So, and then, you know, they could put you in contact with people, people who can help you. Right. Like for sure. I would 
refer people to DC Vintage Watch if they wanted a Seiko. Same deal. Like, you just you need those that word of mouth connection sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That uh, yeah, you, you definitely do. You definitely do. One last thing that I will say: if anybody who listens to this podcast knows how to get an electric watch serviced, not a quartz, an electric watch like the old Hamiltons from the fifties, please hit up Rishi's Radio in the DMs. Your boy needs a service. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess with that, if there's nothing else, I think we could close the book on this chapter of Rishi's Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Be well and good night. Schmidt, take care, brother. Take care, buddy. Thank you.